0: Section Four of Lives of the Saints with Reflections for Every Day of the Year, by Reverend Alban Butler. The Slipperbox Recording is in the Public Domain. Recording by Maria Therese. February 1st, Saint Bridget, Abbess and Patroness of Ireland. Next to the glorious Saint Patrick, Saint Bridget, whom we may consider his spiritual daughter in Christ, has ever been held in singular veneration in Ireland she was born about the year 453 at fochard in ulster during her infancy her pious father saw in a vision men clothed in white garments pouring a sacred unguent on her head thus prefiguring her future sanctity while yet very young bridget consecrated her life to god bestowed everything at her disposal on the poor and was the edification of all who knew her she was very beautiful and fearing that efforts might be made to induce her to break the vow by which she had bound herself to God, and to bestow her hand on one of her many suitors, she prayed that she might become ugly and deformed. Her prayer was heard, for her eye became swollen and her whole countenance so changed that she was allowed to follow her vocation in peace, and marriage with her was no more thought of. When about twenty years old, our saint made known to St. Mel, the nephew and disciple of St. Patrick, her intention to live only to Jesus Christ, and he consented to receive her sacred vows. On the appointed day the solemn ceremony of her profession was performed after the manner introduced by St. Patrick, the bishop, offering up many prayers, and investing Bridget with a snow-white habit, and a cloak of the same color. While she bowed her head on this occasion, to receive the veil, a miracle of a singularly striking and impressive nature occurred. That part of the wooden platform adjoining the altar on which she knelt, recovered its original vitality, and put on all its former verdure, retaining it for a long time after. At the same moment Bridget's eye was healed, and she became as beautiful and as lovely as ever. Encouraged by her example, several other ladies made their vows with her, and in compliance with the wish of the parents of her new associates, the saint agreed to found a religious residence for herself and them in the vicinity. A convenient site having been fixed upon by the bishop, a convent, the first in Ireland, was erected upon it, and in obedience to the prelate bridget assumed the superiority her reputation for sanctity became greater every day and in proportion as it was diffused throughout the country the number of candidates for admission into the new monastery increased the bishops of ireland soon perceiving the important advantages which their respective dioceses would derive from similar foundations persuaded the young and saintly abbess to visit different parts of the kingdom and as an opportunity offered introducing to each one the establishment of her institute while thus engaged in a portion of the province of connaught a deputation arrived from leinster to solicit the saint to take up her residence in that territory but the motives which they urged were human and such could have no weight with Brigid. it was only the prospect of the many spiritual advantages that would result from compliance with the request that induced her to accede as she did to the wishes of those who had petitioned her taking with her a number of her spiritual daughters, our saint journeyed to Leinster, where they were received with many demonstrations of respect and joy. The site on which Kildare now stands, appearing to be well adapted for a religious institute. There the saint and her companions took up their abode. To the place appropriated for the new foundation some lands were annexed, the fruits of which were assigned to the little establishment. This donation indeed contributed to supply the wants of the community, but still the pious sisterhood principally depended for their maintenance on the liberality of their benefactors bridget contrived, however, out of their small means to relieve the poor of the vicinity very considerably, and when the wants of these indigent persons surpassed her slender finances, she hesitated not to sacrifice over them the movables of the convent. On one occasion, our saint, imitating the burning charity of st Ambrose and other great servants of God, sold some of the sacred vestments, that she might procure the means of relieving their necessities she was so humble that she sometimes attended the cattle on the land which belonged to her monastery the renown of bridget's unbounded charity drew multitudes of the poor to kildare the fame of her piety attracted thither many persons anxious to solicit her prayers or to profit by her holy example in course of time the number of these so much increased that it became necessary to provide accommodations for them in the neighbourhood of the new monastery and thus was laid the foundation and origin of the town of Kildare. The spiritual exigencies of her community and of those numerous strangers who resorted to the vicinity having suggested to our saint the expediency of having the locality erected into an episcopal see, she represented it to the prelates to whom the consideration of it rightly belonged. Deeming the proposal just and useful, Conlath, a recluse of eminent sanctity, illustrious by the great things which god had granted to his prayers was at bridget's desire chosen the first bishop of the newly erected diocese in process of time it became the ecclesiastical metropolis of the province to which it belonged probably in consequence of the general desire to honour the place in which st bridget had so long dwelt after seventy years devoted to the practice of the most sublime virtues corporal infirmities admonished our saint that the time of her dissolution was nigh. It was now half a century since, by her holy vows, she had irrevocably consecrated herself to God, and during that period great results had been attained. Her holy institute having widely diffused itself throughout the Green Isle, and greatly advanced the cause of religion in the various districts in which it was established. Like a river of peace, its progress was steady and silent. It fertilized every region fortunate enough to receive its waters, and caused it to put forth spiritual flowers and fruits with all the sweet perfume of evangelical fragrance. The remembrance of the glory she had procured to the Most High, as well as the blood of her divine spouse, cheered and consoled Bridget in the infirmities inseparable from old age. Her last illness was soothed by the presence of Nihid, a priest of eminent sanctity, over whose youth she had watched with pious solicitude and who was indebted to her prayers and instructions for his great proficiency and sublime perfection. The day on which our abbess was to terminate her course, February 1st, 523, having arrived, she received from the hands of the saintly priest the blessed body and blood of her Lord in the divine Eucharist, and as it would seem, immediately after her spirit passed forth and went to possess him in that heavenly country where he is seen face to face and enjoyed without danger of ever losing him her body was interred in the church adjoining her convent but was some time after exhumed and deposited in a splendid shrine near the high altar in the ninth century the country being desolated by the danes the remains of st bridget were removed in order to secure them from irreverence and being transferred to Downpatrick, patrick were deposited in the same grave with those of the glorious st patrick their bodies together with that of st columba were translated afterwards to the cathedral of the same city but their monument was destroyed in the reign of king henry the eighth the head of saint bridget is now kept in the church of the jesuits at lisbon reflection outward resemblance to our lady was saint bridget's peculiar privilege but all are bound to grow like her in interior purity of heart this grace saint bridget has obtained in a wonderful degree for the daughters of her native land and will never fail to procure for all her devout clients ST. IGNATIUS, BISHOP, MARTYR ST. IGNATIUS, BISHOP OF ANTIOCH, WAS THE DISCIPLE OF ST. JOHN. WHEN Domitian persecuted THE CHURCH, ST. IGNATIUS OBTAINED PEACE FOR HIS OWN FLOCK BY FASTING AND PRAYER. BUT FOR HIS PART HE DESIRED TO SUFFER WITH CHRIST, AND TO PROVE HIMSELF A PERFECT DISCIPLE. IN THE YEAR 107, TRAJAN CAME TO ANTIOCH AND FORCED THE CHRISTIANS TO CHOOSE BETWEEN APOSTASY AND DEATH. WHO ART THOU, POOR DEVIL? the emperor said when ignatius was brought before him who setteth our commands at naught call not him poor devil ignatius answered who bears god within him and when the emperor questioned him about his meaning ignatius explained that he bore in his heart christ crucified for his sake thereupon the emperor condemned him to be torn to pieces by wild beasts at rome did ignatius thank god who had so honored him binding him in the chains of paul his apostle he journeyed to Rome, guarded by soldiers, and with no fear except of losing the martyr's crown. He was devoured by lions in the Roman amphitheater. The wild beasts left nothing of his body, except a few bones, which were reverently treasured at Antioch until the removal to the Church of St. Clement at Rome in 637. After the martyr's death, several Christians saw him in vision standing before Christ and interceding for them. Reflection. Ask St. Ignatius to obtain for you the grace of profiting by all you have to suffer, and rejoicing in it as means of likeness to your crucified Redeemer. February 2nd. The Purification, commonly called Candlemas Day. The law of God, given by Moses to the Jews, ordained that a woman, after childbirth, should continue for a certain time in a state which the law calls unclean, during which she was not to appear in public. Nor presume to touch anything consecrated to god this term was of forty days upon the birth of a son and double that time for a daughter on the expiration of the term the mother was to bring to the door of the tabernacle or temple a lamb and a young pigeon or turtle dove as an offering to god these being sacrificed to almighty god by the priest the woman was cleansed of the legal impurity and reinstated in her former privileges a young pigeon or turtle dove by way of a sin offering was required of all for the rich or poor but as the expense of a lamb might be too great for persons in poor circumstances they were allowed to substitute for it a second dove our saviour having been conceived by the holy ghost and his blessed mother remaining always a spotless virgin it is evident that she did not come under the law but as the world was as yet ignorant of her miraculous conception she submitted with great punctuality and exactness to every humbling circumstance which the law required. Devotion and zeal to honor God by every observance prescribed by his law prompted Mary to perform this act of religion, though evidently exempt from the precept. Being poor herself, she made the offering appointed for the poor. But, however mean in itself, it was made with a perfect heart, which is what God chiefly regards in all that is offered to him. Besides the law which obliged the mother to purify herself, there was another which ordered that the firstborn son should be offered to God, and that, after its presentation, the child should be ransomed with a certain sum of money, and peculiar sacrifices offered on the occasion. Mary complies exactly with all these ordinances. She obeys not only in the essential points of the law, but a strict regard to all circumstances. She remains forty days at home, she denies herself all this time the liberty of entering the temple. She partakes not of things sacred, and on the day of her purification she walks several miles to Jerusalem with the world's Redeemer in her arms. She waits for the priest at the gate of the temple, makes her offerings of thanksgiving and expiation, presents her divine son by the hands of the priest to his eternal father, with the most profound humility, adoration, and thanksgiving. She then redeems him with five shekels, as the law appoints and receives him back again as a sacred charge committed to her special care till the father shall again demand him for the full accomplishment of man's redemption the ceremony of this day was closed by a third mystery the meeting in the temple of the holy persons simeon and anne with jesus and his parents holy simeon on that occasion received into his arms the object of all his desires and sighs and praised God for being blessed with the happiness of beholding with so much long for Messias. He foretold to Mary her martyrdom of sorrow, and that Jesus brought redemption to those who would accept of it on the terms it was offered them, but a heavy judgment on all infidels, who should obstinately reject it, and on Christians, also, whose lives were a contradiction to his holy maxims and example. Mary, hearing this terrible prediction, did not answer one word felt no agitation of mind from the present, no dread for the future, but courageously and sweetly committed all to God's holy will. Anne, also, the prophetess, who in her widowhood served God with great fervor, had the happiness to acknowledge and adore in this great mystery the Redeemer of the world. Simeon, having beheld our Savior, exclaimed, Now dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word, because my eyes have seen thy salvation." This feast is called Candlemas because the church blesses the candles to be born in the procession of the day. Reflection Let us strive to imitate the humility of the ever-blessed Mother of God, remembering that humility is a path which leads to abiding peace and brings us near to the consolation of God. February 3rd, St. Blaise, Bishop and Martyr St. Blaise devoted the earlier years of his life to the study of philosophy and afterwards became a physician. In the practice of his profession, he saw so much of the miseries of life and the hollowness of worldly pleasures, that he resolved to spend the rest of his days in the service of God, and from being a healer of bodily ailments, to become a physician of souls. The Bishop of Sebaste in Armenia, having died, our saint, much to the gratification of the inhabitants of that city, was appointed to succeed him. Saint Blaise at once began to instruct his people as much by his example as by his words, and the great virtues and sanctity of this servant of god were attested by many miracles from all parts the people came flocking to him for the cure of bodily and spiritual ills Agricolaus, governor of cappadocia and the lesser armenia having begun a persecution by order of the emperor licentius our saint was seized and hurried off to prison while on his way there a distracted mother whose only child was dying of a throat disease herself at the feet of St. Blaise and implored his intercession. Touched at her grief, the Saint offered up his prayers, and the child was cured, and since that time his aid has often been effectually solicited in cases of a similar disease. Refusing to worship the false gods of the heathens, St. Blaise was first scourged, his body was then torn with hooks, and finally he was beheaded in the year 316. Reflection there is no sacrifice which by the aid of grace human nature is not capable of accomplishing when saint paul complained to god of the violence of the temptation god answered my grace is sufficient for thee for power is made perfect in infirmity february fourth saint jane of alois born of the royal blood of france herself a queen jane of alois led a life remarkable for its humiliations even in the annals of the saints her father louis the eleventh who had hoped for a son to succeed him banished jane from his palace and it is said even attempted her life at the age of five the neglected child offered her whole heart to god and yearned to do some special service in honor of his blessed mother at the king's wish though against her own inclination she was married to the duke of orleans towards an indifferent and unworthy husband her conduct was ever most patient and dutiful her prayers and tears saved him from a traitor's death and shortened the captivity which his rebellion had merited still nothing could win a heart which was already given to another when her husband ascended the throne as louis the twelfth his first act was to repudiate by false representations one who through twenty-two years of cruel neglect had been his true and loyal wife at the final sentence of separation the saintly queen exclaimed "God be praised who has allowed this that I may serve him better than I have heretofore done. Retiring to Borges, she then realized her long formed desire of founding the Order of the Annunciation in honor of the Mother of God. Under the guidance of St. Francis of Paula, the director of her childhood, St. Jane was enabled to overcome the serious obstacles which even good people raised against the foundation of her new order. In 1501, the role of the Annunciation was finally approved by Alexander VI, the chief aim of the institute was to imitate the ten virtues practiced by our lady in the mystery of the incarnation the superiorist being called enchelle handmaid in honor of mary's humility st jane built and endowed the first comment of the order in 1502 she died in heroic sanctity 1505 and was buried in the royal crown in purple beneath which lay the habit of her order reflection during the lifetime of st jane the angelus was established in france the sound of the ave thrice each day gave her hope in her sorrow and fostered in her the desire still further to honor the incarnation how often might we derive grace from the same beautiful devotion so enriched by the church yet neglected by so many christians february fifth saint agatha virgin martyr saint agatha was born in sicily of rich and noble parents a child of benediction from the first, for she was promised to her parents before her birth, and consecrated from her earliest infancy to God. In the midst of dangers and temptations, she served Christ in purity of body and soul, and she died for the love of chastity. Quintanus, who governed Sicily under the emperor Decius, had heard the rumor of her beauty and wealth, and he made the law against the Christians a pretext for summoning her from Palerma to Catania, where he was at the time. "'Oh, Jesus Christ!' she cried, as she set out on this dreaded journey. "'All that I am is thine. Preserve me against the tyrant.' And our Lord did indeed preserve one who had given herself so utterly to him. He kept her pure and undefiled while she was in prison for a whole month under the charge of an evil woman. He gave her strength to reply to the offer of her life and safety, if she would but consent to sin. Christ alone is my life and my salvation.' When Quintanus turned from passion to cruelty and cut off her breasts our lord sent the prince of his apostles to heal her and when after she had been rolled naked upon potsherds she asked that her torments might be ended her spouse heard her prayer and took her to himself saint agatha gave herself without reserve to jesus christ she followed him in virginal purity and then looked to him for protection and down to this day christ has shown his tender regard for the very body of st Agatha. again and again during the eruptions of mount etna the people of Catana have exposed her veil for public veneration and found safety by this means and in modern times on opening the tomb in which her body lies waiting for the resurrection they beheld the skin still entire and felt the sweet fragrance which issued from this temple of the holy ghost Reflection. Purity is a gift of God. We can gain it and preserve it only by care and diligence, and avoiding all that may prove an incentive to sin. The Martyrs of Japan About forty years after St. Francis Xavier's death, a persecution broke out in Japan, and all Christian rites were forbidden under pain of death. A confraternity of martyrs was at once formed, the object of which was to die for Christ. Even the little children joined it, Peter, a Christian child, six years old, was awakened early and told that he was to be beheaded, together with his father. Strong in grace, he expressed his joy at the news, dressed himself in his gayest clothing, and took the hand of the soldier who was to lead him to death. The headless trunk of his father first met his view. Calmly kneeling down, he prayed beside the corpse, and loosening his collar, prepared his neck for the stroke. Moved by this touching scene, the executioner threw down his sabre and fled. None but a brutal slave could be found for the murderous task. With unskilled and trembling hand, he hacked the child to pieces, who at last died without uttering a single cry. Christians were branded with the cross, or all but buried alive, while the head and arms were slowly sewn off with blunt weapons. The least shudder under their anguish was interpreted into apostasy the obstinate were put to the most cruel deaths, but the survivors only envied them five noblemen were escorted to the stake by forty thousand christians with flowers and lights singing the litanies of our lady as they went in the great martyrdom at which thousands also assisted the martyrs sent up a flood of melody from the fire which only died away as one after another went to sing the new song in heaven later on a more awful doom was invented the victims were lowered into a sulfurous chasm called the mouth of hell near which no bird or beast could live the chief of these paul Weiberg, whose family had been already massacred for the faith was thrice let down thrice he cried with a loud voice eternal praise be to the ever adorable sacrament of the altar the third time he went to his reward reflection if mere children face torture and death with joy for christ can we begrudge the slight penance he asked us to bear february sixth saint dorothy virgin martyr saint dorothy was a young virgin celebrated at Caesarea where she lived for her angelic virtue her parents seemed to have been martyred before her in the diocletian persecution and when the governor sapricius came to Caesarea, he called her before him and sent this child of martyrs to the home where they were waiting for her SHE WAS STRETCHED UPON THE RACK AND OFFERED MARRIAGE IF SHE WOULD CONSENT TO SACRIFICE, OR DEATH IF SHE REFUSED. BUT SHE REPLIED THAT CHRIST WAS HER ONLY SPOUSE, AND DEATH HER DESIRE. SHE WAS THEN PLACED IN CHARGE OF TWO WOMEN WHO HAD FALLEN AWAY FROM THE FAITH, IN THE HOPE THAT THEY might PERVERT HER. BUT THE FIRE OF HER OWN HEART rekindled THE FLAME IN THEIRS, AND LED THEM BACK TO CHRIST. WHEN SHE WAS SET ONCE MORE ON THE RACK, SIPRICIUS HIMSELF WAS AMAZED AT THE HEAVENLY LOOK SHE WORE, AND ASKED HER THE CAUSE OF HER JOY, because she said i have brought back two souls to christ and because i shall soon be in heaven rejoicing with the angels her joy grew as she was buffeted in the face and her sides burned with plates of red-hot iron blessed be thou she cried when she was sentenced to be beheaded blessed be thou o thou lover of souls who dost call me to paradise and invitest me to thy nuptial chamber saint dorothy suffered in the dead of winter and it is said that on the road to her passion, a lawyer called Theophilus, who had been used to calumniate and persecute the Christians, asked her in mockery to send him apples or roses from the garden of her spouse. The saint promised to grant his request, and just before she died, a little child stood by her side bearing three apples and three roses. She bade him take them to Theophilus and tell him this was the present which he sought from the garden of her spouse. St. Dorothy had gone to heaven, and Theophilus was still making merry over his challenge to the saint when the child entered his room. He saw that the child was an angel in disguise, and the fruit and flowers of no earthly growth. He was converted to the faith, and then shared in the martyrdom of St. Dorothy. Reflection Do you wish to be safe in the pleasures and happy in the troubles of the world? Pray for heavenly desires, and say with St. Philip, Paradise paradise february seventh saint romuald abbot in nine seventy six sergius a nobleman of ravenna quarreled with a relative about an estate and slew him in a duel his son romuald horrified at his father's crime entered the benedictine monastery at classe to do a forty days penance for him this penance ended in his own vocation to religion after three years at classe romeo went to live as a hermit near venice where he was joined by peter Ursiolus, duke of venice and together they led a most austere life in the midst of assaults from the evil spirits st romeo founded many monasteries the chief of which was that at Camaldoli, a wild desert place where he built a church which he surrounded with a number of separate cells for the solitaries who lived under his role his disciples were hence called commodolis he is said to have seen here a vision of a mystic ladder, and his white clothed monks ascending by it to heaven. Among his first disciples were Saint Albert and Boniface, apostles of Russia, and Saint John and Benedict of Poland, martyrs for the faith. He was an intimate friend of the Emperor Saint Henry, and was reverenced and consulted by many great men of his time. He once passed seven years in solitude and complete silence. In his youth st romeo was much troubled by temptations of the flesh to escape them he had recourse to hunting and in the woods first conceived his love for solitude his father's sin as we have seen first prompted him to undertake a forty days penance in the monastery where he forthwith made his home some bad example of his fellow monks induced him to leave them and adopt a solitary mode of life the penance of Eusebius, who had obtained his power wrongfully brought him his first disciple the temptations of the devil compelled him to a severe life, and finally the persecutions of others were the occasion of his settlement at Camaldoli, and the foundation of his order. He died as he had foretold twenty years before, alone in his monastery of Valcastro, on the 19th of June, 1027. Reflection St. Romeo's life teaches us that, if we only follow the impulse of the Holy Spirit, we shall easily find good everywhere even on the most unlikely occasions. Our own sins, the sins of others, their ill will against us, or our own mistakes and misfortunes, are equally capable of leading us, with softened hearts, to the feet of God's mercy and love. February 8th, St. John of Matha The life of John of Matha was one long course of self-sacrifice for the glory of God and the good of his neighbor. As a child, his chief delight was serving the poor, and he often told them he had come into the world for no other end but to wash their feet. He studied at Paris with such distinction that his professors advised him to become a priest in order that his talents might render greater service to others and For this end, John gladly sacrificed his high rank and other worldly advantages at his first mass. An angel appeared clad in white with a red and blue cross on his breast and his hands reposing on the head of a Christian and a Moorish captive. To ascertain what this signified, John repaired to St. Felix of Valois, a holy hermit living near Meaux, under whose direction he led a life of extreme penance. The angel again appeared, and they then set out for Rome to learn the will of God from the lips of the sovereign pontiff, who told them to devote themselves to the redemption of captives. For this purpose, they founded the order of the Holy Trinity. The religious fasted every day, and gathering alms throughout Europe, took them to Barbary. To redeem the Christian slaves, they devoted themselves also to the sick and prisoners in all countries. The charity of St. John in devoting his life to the redemption of captives was visibly blessed by God. On his second return from Tunis, he brought back one hundred and twenty liberated slaves, but the Moors attacked him at sea, overpowered his vessel, and doomed it to destruction with all on board by taking away the rudder and sails and leaving it to the mercy of the winds. St. John tied his cloak to the mast, and prayed, saying, Let God arise, and let his enemies be scattered. O Lord, thou wilt save the humble, and wilt bring down the eyes of the proud. Suddenly the wind filled the small sail, and without guidance, carried the ship safely in a few days to Ostia, the port of Rome, three hundred leagues from Tunis. Worn out by his heroic labors, John died in 1213 at the age of fifty-three. Reflection. Let us never forget that our blessed Lord bade us love our neighbor, not only as ourselves, but as he loved them, who afterward sacrificed himself for us. February ninth, St. Apollyanna and the Martyrs of Alexandria. At Alexandria in 249, the mob rose in savage fury against the Christians. Mitras, an old man, perished first. His eye was pierced with reeds, and he was stoned to death. A woman named Quinta was the next victim. She was led to a heathen temple and bidden worship. She replied by cursing the false god again and again, and she too was stoned to death. After this, the houses of the Christians were sacked and plundered. They took the spoiling of their goods with all joy. Saint Apollonia, an aged virgin, was the most famous among the martyrs. Her teeth were beaten out. She was led outside the city. A huge fire was kindled and she was told she must deny Christ or else be burned alive. She was silent for a while, and then, moved by a special inspiration of the Holy Ghost, she leaped into the fire and died in its flames. The same courage showed itself the next year, when Decius became emperor, and the persecution grew till it seemed as if the very elect must fall away. The story of Diosaurus illustrates the courage of the Alexandrian Christians and the esteem they had for martyrdom. He was a boy of fifteen. To the arguments of the judge he returned wise answers. He was proof against torture. His older companions were executed, but Diosaurus was spared on account of his tender years. Yet the Christians could not bear to think that he had been deprived of the martyr's crown, except to receive it afterwards more gloriously. Diosaurus, writes Dionysius, Bishop of Alexandria at this time, remains with us, reserved for some longer and greater combat. There were indeed many Christians who came pale and trembling to offer the heathen sacrifices, but the judges themselves were struck with horror at the multitudes who rushed to martyrdom. Women triumphed over torture, till at last the judges were glad to execute them at once, and put an end to the ignominy of their own defeat. Reflection Many saints who are not martyrs have longed to shed their blood for Christ, we too may pray for some portion of their spirit and the least suffering for the faith born with humility and courage is the proof that christ has heard our prayer february tenth saint scholastica abbess of this saint but little is known on earth save that she was the sister of the great patriarch st benedict and that under his direction she founded and governed a numerous community near monte Cassino. St. Gregory sums up her life by saying that she devoted herself to God from her childhood, and that her pure soul went to God in the likeness of a dove, as if to show that her life had been enriched with the fullest gifts of the Holy Spirit. Her brother was accustomed to visit her every year, for she could not be sated or wearied with the words of grace which flowed from his lips. On his last visit, after a day passed in spiritual converse, the saint, knowing that her end was near, said, my brother, leave me not, I pray you, this night, but discourse with me till dawn on the bliss of those who see God in heaven. St. Benedict would not break his rule at the bidding of natural affection, and then the saint bowed her head on her hands and prayed. And there arose a storm so violent that St. Benedict could not return to his monastery, and they passed the night in heavenly conversation. Three days later St. Benedict saw in a vision the soul of his sister go up in the likeness of a dove into heaven. Then he gave thanks to god for the graces he had given her and for the glory which had crowned them when she died saint benedict her spiritual daughters and the monks sent by saint benedict mingled their tears and prayed alas alas dearest mother to whom dost thou leave us now pray for us to jesus to whom thou art gone they then devoutly celebrated holy mass committing her soul to god and her body was borne to monte cassino and laid by her brother in the tomb he had prepared for himself. And they bewailed her many days. And St. Benedict said, Weep not, sisters and brothers, for assuredly Jesus has taken her before us to be our aid and defense against our enemies, that we may stand in the evil day and be in all things perfect. She died about the year 543. Reflection Our relatives must be loved in and for God otherwise the purest affection becomes inordinate, and is so much taken from him. February 11th, St. Severinus, Abbot of Aganum St. Severinus, of a noble family in Burgundy, was educated in the Catholic faith at a time when the Arian heresy reigned in that country. He forsook the world in his youth, and dedicated himself to God in the monastery of Aganum, which then only consisted of scattered cells till the catholic king sigismund built there the great Abbey of saint maurice saint severinus was the holy abbot of that place and had governed his community many years in the exercise of penance and charity when in 504 clovis the first christian king of france lying ill of a fever which his physicians had for two years ineffectually endeavoured to remove sent his chamberlain to conduct the saint to court for it was said that the sick from all parts recovered their health by his prayers St. Severinus took leave of his monks, telling them he should never see them more in this world. On his journey he healed Eulaius, Bishop of Nevers, who had been for some time deaf and dumb, also a leper at the gates of Paris, and coming to the palace he immediately restored the king to perfect health by putting on him his own cloak. The king, in gratitude, distributed large alms to the poor and released all his prisoners. St. Severinus, returning toward Aganum, stopped at Chateau-Landon, in Gatinois, where two priests served God in a solitary chapel, among whom he was admitted, at his request, as a stranger, and was soon greatly admired by them for his sanctity. He foresaw his death, which happened shortly after, in 507. The place is now an abbey of reformed canons regular of St. Austin. The Huguenots scattered the greater part of his relics when they plundered this church reflection god loads with his favour those who delight in exercising mercy according to thy ability be merciful if thou hast much give abundantly if thou hast little take care even so to bestow willingly a little february twelfth st benedict of anion benedict was the son of agolf governor of languedoc and was born about 750 in his early youth he served as cupbearer to king pepin and his son Charlemagne, enjoying under them great honors and possessions, grace entered his soul at the age of twenty, and he resolved to seek the kingdom of God with his whole heart. Without relinquishing his place at court, he lived there a most mortified life for three years. Then a narrow escape from drowning made him vow to quit the world, and enter the cloister of Saint Ciany. In reward for his heroic austerities in the monastic state god bestowed upon him the gift of tears and inspired him with a knowledge of spiritual things as procurator he was most careful of the wants of the brethren and most hospitable to the poor and to guests declining to accept the abbacy he built himself a little hermitage on the brook of Anian, and lived some years in great solitude and poverty but the fame of his sanctity drawing many souls around him he was obliged to build a large abbey and within a short time governed three hundred monks he became the great restorer of monastic discipline throughout france and germany first he drew up with immense labor a code of the rules of st benedict his great namesake which he collated with those of the chief monastic founders showing the uniformity of the exercises in each and enforced by his penitential their exact observance secondly he minutely regulated all matters regarding food clothing and every detail of life and thirdly by prescribing the same for all he excluded jealousies and ensured perfect charity. In a provincial council held in 813 under Charlemagne, at which he was present, it was declared that all monks of the West should adopt the role of St. Benedict. He died February eleventh, eight 821. Reflection The decay of monastic discipline and its restoration by St. Benedict prove that none are safe from loss of fervor, but that all can regain it by fidelity to grace february thirteenth saint catherine of ricci alexandrina of ricci was the daughter of a noble florentine at the age of thirteen she entered the third order of saint dominic in the monastery of prato taking in religion the name of catherine after her patron and namesake of siena her special attraction was to the passion of christ in which she was permitted miraculously to participate in the lent of fifteen forty one being then twenty-one years of age she had a vision of the crucifixion so heartrending that she was confined to bed for three weeks and was only restored on holy saturday by an apparition of st mary magdalene and jesus risen during twelve years she passed every friday in ecstasy she received the sacred stigmata the wounds in the left side and the crown of thorns all these favors gave her continual and intense suffering and inspired her with a loving sympathy for the yet more bitter tortures of the holy souls in their behalf she offered all her prayers and penances and her charity toward them became so famous throughout tuscany that after every death the friends of the deceased hastened to catherine to secure her prayers st catherine offered many prayers fasts and penances for a certain great man and thus obtained his salvation it was revealed to her that he was in purgatory and such was her love of jesus crucified that she offered to suffer all the pains about to be inflicted on that soul. Her prayers were granted. The soul entered heaven, and for forty days Catherine suffered indescribable agonies. Her body was covered with blisters, emitting heat so great that her cell seemed on fire. Her flesh appeared as if roasted, and her tongue like red-hot iron. Amid all, she was calm and joyful, saying, I long to suffer all imaginable pains that souls may quickly see and praise their Redeemer. She knew by revelation the arrival of a soul in purgatory, and the hour of its release. She held intercourse with the saints in glory, and frequently conversed with St. Philip Neri at Rome, without ever leaving her convent at Prato. She died amid angel songs in 1589. Reflection If we truly love Jesus crucified, we must long, as did St. Catherine, to release the holy souls whom he has redeemed but has left to our charity to set free, February fourteenth Saint Valentine priest and martyr Valentine was a holy priest in Rome who, with st Marius and his family, assisted the martyrs in the persecution under Claudius the second. He was apprehended and sent by the emperor to the prefect of Rome, who, on finding all his promises to make him renounce his faith ineffectual, commanded him to be beaten with clubs and afterward to be beheaded which was executed on the fourteenth of february about the year two seventy pope julius i is said to have built a church near ponte mole to his memory which for a long time gave name to the gate now called porta de popolo formerly porta valentini the greater part of his relics are now in the church of st praxides to abolish the heathen's lewd superstitious custom of boys drawing the names of girls in honor of their goddess, Februata Juno, on the 15th of this month, several zealous pastors substituted the names of saints in billets given on this day. Reflection In the cause of justice and truth, prudence should not be held in account. Otherwise, prudence is mere human respect. St. Paul says, The wisdom of the flesh is death. February 15th Saints Faustinus and Gevita Martyrs Faustinus and Jovita were brothers, nobly born, and zealous professors of the Christian religion, which they preached without fear in their city of Brescia, while the bishop of that place lay concealed during their persecution. Their remarkable zeal excited the fury of the heathens against them and procured them a glorious death for their faith at Brescia in Lombardy under the emperor Adrian. Julian, a heathen lord, apprehended them, and the emperor himself passing through brescia when neither threats nor torments could shake their constancy commanded them to be beheaded they seem to have suffered about the year 121 the city of brescia honors them as its chief patrons possesses their relics and a very ancient church in that city bears their names reflection the spirit of christ is a spirit of martyrdom at least of mortification and penance it is always the spirit of the cross the more we share in the suffering life of Christ, the greater share we inherit in his spirit and in the fruit of his death. To souls mortified to their senses and disengaged from earthly things, God gives frequent foretastes of the sweetness of eternal life, and the most ardent desires of possessing him in his glory. This is the spirit of martyrdom, which entitles a Christian to a happy resurrection and to the bliss of the life to come. End of section 4 Recording by Maria Therese